Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on Fridays in May, each film touches upon Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or the Hard Way to Enlightenment and the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie at nortonsimon.org. Support comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting Jelly's Last Jam. Follow Jelly Roll Morton, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz, in this ambitious musical masterpiece that's sure to blow the roof off the theater. Performances begin May 29th. Tickets at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. Welcome to Air Talks TV Talk from LAS 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Every Thursday, I'm joined on Air Talk by professional TV critics to review and discuss the newest cable TV, broadcast, and streaming series. With so much content available, we know it's hard to pick something to watch, and we're here to help. And we're so glad to have with us as our critics this week, editor-in-chief for Primetimer, Danette Chavez, also joining us from Salon, television critic Melanie McFarland. We're not only going to talk with them about the new uh, shows that are out or, or ones that have new seasons that are debuting, but also about the seasons and even full series that have been removed from some of the streaming platforms as a cost-cutting effort by those platforms. Uh, let's begin uh, on, on this week's series with The Company You Keep, which airs on ABC, next day streaming on Hulu. Uh, the series created by Julia Cohen and Phil Klemmer. Danette, please start us on the company you keep. What do you think of it? Well, you know, cable and streaming has given us a whole lot more sex on TV, but for my money, it's a broadcast show that has the best TV romance, and that's the company you keep. Uh, it was the show's adapted from the South Korean drama uh, called My Fellow Citizens, um, and it's very much focused on the budding relationship between Milo Ventimiglia's character and Catherine Hayna Kim. Um, and there's, you know, also just all this great uh, uh, commentary on families, right? Um, he, Milo's character, uh, they're a family of con artist, uh, whereas Catherine's character, she comes from this illustrious Asian-American family, you know, with even like a senator brother. Um, so there's a lot going on in the show, but the real appeal of it for me is just watching these two charismatic people click with each other. I just, I don't think I've seen anything quite so promising uh, on TV in years, really. And that's great, isn't it, Danette, when you see that kind of chemistry? Because that's got to be difficult for even the showrunners. You don't know whether you've got that or not till you see it. Yes, absolutely. Melanie, what do you think of the company you keep? No, I completely agree with Danette. And I, I'm going to go a little further and say it's not just the chemistry, because I think ABC has done fairly well in the past few years of building these shows where something works, um, but maybe other things don't. Um, so you have this chemistry at the heart of the series. You have um, this tension between these two families um, that isn't necessarily personal. Um, one, it's a criminal family versus a family that's in government. Um, and specifically, you have these people in the center who don't know what the, the other is doing. 
there's something very appealing about that that reminds me of um, the uh, 1998 movie Out of Sight, where you had this matchup between yeah. Jennifer Lopez and George Clooney. Um, and so there's just smoke, but there's all these things going on outside of it that I think all of that is firing on full cylinders. That's high praise comparing it to that film. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, it's it's all it's it's pretty great, and um, I'm looking forward for to hear what people think when they watch it. We're talking about the company you keep, a romantic drama on ABC, streaming the following day on Hulu. The program premiering this coming Sunday night at ten o'clock on ABC Seven. Uh, there will be a total of seven episodes over the weeks. It's back for its third season, Paramount Plus's streaming series Star Trek Picard, of course, starring Patrick Stewart. The showrunners are Kirsten Beyer, uh, Michael Chabon, and Akiva Goldsman. Um, to, to, you know, my, my take on season two was uh, that the show really went off the rails. Melanie, I'm <laughs> curious about season three because I've heard it's a significant change in course. What do you think of what you've seen? Oh, I agree. You know, the, here's the thing about Star Trek. Um, I think that there is this idea of it can only be one thing. I think that Paramount has experimented with that um, and is giving all kinds of different versions of Star Trek on the service. Um, I think longtime Trekkers may not appreciate that so much, but one thing that's wonderful about um, what they've done with Picard is that they've drilled down on this character who is, you know, poll after poll over the years, Jean-Luc Picard has always been the most popular captain. And of course, Patrick Stewart is a legend in the franchise. Um, and, and they've experimented with it. So if you wanted to go into the third season without having seen the second or the first, you can completely do that. And in fact, this season is really, you know, to, to use a cheesy phrase, it really is getting the band back together. But not only that, it's delivering, this is going to be the final season of the series, um, and it's delivering um, kind of this lovely epilogue on all these characters, um, you know, where they've, where they've been and where they're going and bringing them back together for one last mission, um, at least in this franchise. And, and, there's, it, I think it's difficult to balance the the impulse to kind of go a little darker, a little more action heavy, with the lightness and the optimism of Star Trek. Um, and the, I'm not going to say that it's not dark, but the way that they handle the characters, I think, um, gives some of the characters, like for instance, you know, Doctor Beverly Crusher and Deanna Troy, more um, of an agency in this version than they had before, and it's really enjoyable to watch. Well, and to see them back, as you said, getting the band back together for those of us who love so much the Next Generation, mm -hmm. to see the core of that cast back together is great. But it sounds like what you're saying, Melanie, is that it also delivers story-wise. It does deliver story-wise, and you get to see how these characters have changed. You know, of course, there are certain things that we don't want to change, right? We don't want Jonathan Frakes's Commander Riker, you know, to not be very Riker-esque. So you don't want, you know, you certainly don't want Jean-Luc Picard to go too far away from who he is. And those characters form the solid core of um, a crew that has evolved um, in their personal lives, 
um, but also professionally, each of them, you know, one of the my favorite moments is when you see Worf show up for the first time in the series. Very different character than when he, when he was before, but the same personality that yeah. we loved from Next Generation. Sure. So you can see the through line to to the younger Worf. Um, yes, in certainly. this, and you think that this is is uh, largely a result of the popularity of Strange New Worlds, which I think is the best Star Trek series since the Next Generation. I certainly agree, and I also think that Strange New Worlds honors what Star Trek originally was. Um, I do not think that they could have done anything different um, since it's the story of Pike. They kind of really do have to, and Pike, of course, was the you know captain who came before Kirk. So you get those original, that original Star Trek feeling of you know, having these missions that are all, you know, one and done, you know, they're in, encapsulated in one episode, you have this compelling captain, you know, who leads this, uh, and you get to meet some of the characters that we go to get to know and love through the original Star Trek at the beginning of their careers. So it, it really has to capture that original vision. But Picard, I think, can drill down and become more serialized because it's about Jean-Luc Picard. And I think that's, he's such a specific character and drawn so well in the original series, The Next Generation, that exploring him at this point in his life just makes sense. We're talking with our television critics, Melanie McFarland of Salon and Danette Chavez of Prime Timer. When we come back, we're going to be taking a look at Carnival Row and African Queens Najinga, but we just finished up talking about Star Trek Picard, its third season, out today on Paramount Plus. There'll be a total of ten episodes. The episode two will be releasing Thursday of uh, two weeks from now, or actually next week, excuse me. So um, it'll be sequentially on Thursdays. Well, we continue with our critics, Danette and Melanie, as we talk about the second season of Amazon Prime Video's Carnival Row, starring Orlando Bloom, the series created by Renee Echeverria and Travis Beecham. Danette, what do you think of season two? If you enjoyed the first season, I think you're going to get a lot from this second season because it, it, it works in a very similar, it unfolds in a very similar fashion where there is this core romance between Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne's characters. And I mean, you know, they, I, I, I can't quite compare their chemistry to Milo's and Catherine's, but I mean, they're also two good looking people who brood over each other on screen. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a, <laughs> that, that's an important part of any fantasy show. You know, um, what's interesting to me about Carnival Row really is uh, the place that it has in um, both in like Prime Video's programming history, but also, you know, just uh, the TV programmers search for the next Game of Thrones, because that's something that preoccupied executives uh, over the last few years. And we've kind of seen the answer recently, right, which shows like uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, series on Prime Video and the House of the Dragon prequel, right? Um, so Carnival Row is going to be, I mean, I'd like to credit the creators of the show for at least going with something original, right? They really did try to build a whole new fantasy world instead of just borrowing from some more IP. Uh, the, the only thing is it, you know, it ended up being very, if it were a house, it would be very Rococo, you know, like it's, we've got fairies and other kinds of, uh, uh, you know, creatures. Um, there's 
a lot of uh, social commentary. There's class warfare. You know, all all very important elements of fantasy uh, storytelling, whether it's you know book or in show form. Um, it just is trying to do maybe too much in its final season, um, but you know. At, at, at least it's it's putting it all out there, right? I, I have to, to respect the show, you know, uh, the creator's understanding that this is really their last uh, bid to win over viewers um, and, you know, re- really doing their best to go out on a high note. Carnival Row, its second season with episodes one and two released tomorrow, Friday the 17th. There'll be a total of 10 episodes in the second season. Carnival Row streams on Amazon Prime Video. The docudrama African Queens Najinga weaves together uh, narration by the executive producer of the series, Jada Pinkett Smith, with with some historic recreations as well. Uh, Melanie, what did you think of African Queens Najinga? which is streaming on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So one, one thing to to just to clarify, it's actually a hybrid docu-series. And here's why that's important. Um, this is a hybrid docu-series that handles its reenactments as if it is a full-fledged drama, which is to say um, the main characters who are playing uh, Najinga and her family and her people um, are actors who really give it their all. Um, they do a great job in their parts, and you can see them carrying this as a full drama without input from academics. Um, I also understand why the producers um, decided to handle it as a docu-series, because this is a history most people don't know. And frankly, given this the day, these days, and, and the fact that a lot of Americans don't really study history, let alone world history, um, that a lot of people wouldn't believe. Um, so Najinga is a 16th century African queen who um, was uh, confronted with Portuguese slavers encroaching on her kingdom. Um, and the choice that uh, many of the rulers in the neighboring kingdoms made was the same, you know, same as, as many across the continent who were encountering, um, you know, slavers and, and uh, European colonialists was, you can either provide us with cargo, i.e. other humans that, that you help us capture, um, or we will enslave your people. And eventually, as we know, as you know, as Europeans uh, kept coming to the, comp- the continent, it became overrun. But at this point, Najinga chose to fight. Um, and this is about the beginning of her rule, um, following with her uh, what happened with her father and then her brother, and then her decision to rally her people and really secure her kingdom, which is now modern day Angola, um, as um, one of the only kingdoms, if not the only kingdom on the continent that was recognized by the Pope, which okay. essentially made her a fully recognized leader. So in order to explain that, you have to have a lot of academics backing that up, not only to explain the action she took, um, but also to explain, like almost legitimize it, which I'm, I'm sad to say is necessary. However, they, did, they do a great great job of it. And I think that they seamlessly bring in these academic perspectives along with an African ruler and Af- uh, a woman who is, you know, actually a woman king today to explain everything about her history and its significance. We'll continue. Uh, that's African Queens Najinga streaming on Netflix. All four episodes were released yesterday, the 15th of February. This is TV Talk from LAS 89.3. We'll be right back after this. 
Support for LAS comes from Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum, returning with a season of outdoor summer repertory theater on its scenic stage in the woods of Topanga, with picnicking in the gardens before the show. A Midsummer Night's Dream is back, along with The Winter's Tale, Wendy's Peter Pan, and Tartuffe Born Again set at a TV station in Baton Rouge. And for a contentious election year, Bernardo Cubrias, the Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latin vote. Tickets at theatricum.com. Support for LAS comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or The Hard Way to Enlightenment by Conrad Wolf and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Bunuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on consecutive Fridays, now through May 31st. More information at nortonsimon.org. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, and you're listening to Air Talks TV Talk, a weekly review of the newest cable TV, broadcast, television, and streaming series. Let's get back to reviews. Uh, with our critics this week, we're so glad to have them take us through the series. Melanie McFarland of Salon and Danette Chavez, who's editor-in-chief for Prime Timer. Danette, give us just, if you would, really, really quick, the Apple TV Plus series, Hello Tomorrow, the comedic drama. Um, what do you think of it? It's nowhere near as dark as a show like Black Mirror, but like Black Mirror, it is concerned with, you know, um, really questioning how much technology improves our lives, right? And, and how we can put, a, we can put too much, we can pin too many of our hopes really um, on technological advancements. We don't, but uh, as we've seen in real life, I mean, it, it, it's really only helped us along so much. And so that there's an interesting tension uh, within the show is that, you know, obviously it uses technology to, present like these gorgeous opening credits and, you know, with this really uh, neat uh, retro futuristic setting. Um, but the whole time it's really questioning uh, how much, uh, how helpful that's going to be in anyone's life. Hello, Tomorrow is streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. The first three episodes of the series of 10 premiere tomorrow, Friday, February 17th. And Physical 100, a Netflix South Korean reality series. Melanie, again, just give us, if you would, a very quick, like, 45 seconds on this series. Here's what I'll say. It has all the drama that you would expect from a reality competition series. And, in fact, it's described as survival reality series. But... The thing that I enjoy the most about it, besides rooting for certain people, and I won't say who, <laughs> is that it questions the concept of what it means to be to have the ultimate physique. You have 100 contestants from bodybuilders to UFC fighters. One is a movie star, models, um, and they're all comp competing in these comp physical competitions. But the people that you would predict to win don't always and um it's getting towards the finale and the final contenders are very interesting all right series physical 100 from south korea the first episode released back in late january eight episodes are out now the final is going to release next tuesday the 21st i did want to ask both of you about 
uh, an issue that concerns many subscribers to streaming services, and that is shows that just disappear or seasons of series that are beloved that disappear from the inventories of streaming platforms. And Danette, what's going on with this? Is this really cost savings for the streamers that this is happening? I mean, I don't think that there's any denying that it is saving them money in the short term, right? I mean, because they're they're not announcing plans to do it. They're pulling these things and they're just, you know, the the savings start rolling right in. But whether or not this is feasible in the long run, I mean, we already see people jumping between services, right? Hardly anyone uh, maintains a Netflix subscription and an Apple TV Plus and a Peacock subscription and, you know, 10 others through the whole year. Like you hear more and more people saying, you know, well, I'm going to stop Netflix, pause Netflix for a month and switch to Hulu so I can catch up on all the Fox shows. And then I'm going to pause that for a bit and watch Ted Lasso when that comes out in mid-March. So, you know, I, I do feel like subscribers are starting to catch onto that uh, a bit, but, you know, wh- how, how successful of a long-term strategy this is going to be for them. Uh, really is up in the air. And some of the series that have been yanked include uh, on HBO Max, Westworld, Raised by Wolves, The Time Traveler's Wife, F-Boy Island, The Nevers, Love Life, Minx, Gordita Chronicles, um, on um, uh, on Stars, it's uh, Dangerous Liaisons, Becoming Elizabeth and Step Up, um, Jordan Peele's reboot of The Twilight Zone, along with Real World Homecoming, Interrogation, uh, Coyote, Guilty Party, Super Pumped, On Becoming a God in Central Florida. Those are just a few that Showtime has pulled, and uh, AMC Plus has even pulled three series. And, you know, the downside, Melanie, of course, is for all the creative people involved because they don't get the payments that come uh, when these are available on a streaming service. That's absolutely right. And, you know, to, to Danette's point, it's there are different reasons that each of these services are pulling these titles. Um, and some of them are cancellations, some of them are cancellations, and they're, they're yanking them entirely. Um, the most, probably the highest profile case recently, of course, is the news that Arrested Development is leaving Netflix. And that is a more common reason. Um, they had a licensing agreement that has expired. Um, they made that licensing agreement in 2013 for 10 years. Um, as you may know, Arrested Development aired between, um, you know, early in the aughts on Fox. And so when they made that agreement, they also produced an additional two seasons. Well, now it's ex- expiring. Now Arrested Development is off the service. That doesn't mean it disappears entirely, necessarily, um, but it just it, we just have to wait and see. Now, those titles that you're mentioning, a number of them, it is a residual concern, but also some of them, um, the main things is that some of them will be available to rent on video on demand, but some of them might just disappear forever um, and or, you know, until further notice, we should say. So that, I think, is the real concern for people who want to not only not only people in the industry, but these some of these are just wonderful shows that people may hear of and want to discover later. And yeah. it's going to be difficult. Well, and to me, the the appeal of of streaming was that and obviously you're not going to subscribe to every service, but that 
that somewhere everything that was ever made in any quantity would be available. Maybe it would even be on Pluto or Tubi, you know, the ad-supported platforms uh, or one of the subscription uh, streamers. But that that idea, if you were looking for a series you wanted to reimmerse yourself in, you could find it somewhere, at least theoretically. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. That's Danette Chavez, editor-in-chief for Primetimer and Melanie McFarland, TV critic for Salon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Air Talks TV Talk from LAist 89.3. If you like what you heard, please subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. The LAist Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAist.com sweeps.